All right, for those of you who may not know who I am, I am Mike Osborne. I'm the administrative pastor here at the church. And I know, again, that you came to hear preaching, you're thinking the administrative pastor. Uh, but Randy always lets me preach the last Sunday of the year because that's the lowest attended Sunday and he figures I can't mess it up any. <laughs> well, we showed him this year, didn't we? Well, we are at the end of a year, and when we get to the end of the year, everybody gets caught up in the year in review. You know, if you're watching TV shows, whether they're news shows or sports shows or entertainment shows, they're already starting to do all the big stories that were a part of 2012. You pick up the magazines, and all of them have the year in review, and it has been quite a year to look back on, hasn't it? I mean, we can look back on the year in review and politics, and we had what I don't know about you, but for me, it felt like the never-ending uh, presidential campaign that spent a bazillion dollars on commercials and ads. And again, I don't know what it was like at your house, but I personally got a half a million calls from the Republican National Committee. We look back in sports, and it was quite a year in sports. We uh, see the scandal that went on at Penn State. We had the Olympics taking place. We had Lance Armstrong being stripped of all his awards and prizes. We had uh, RG3, and this year, for the first time in who knows how long, we have the final game of the season between the Redskins and the Dallas Cowboys, and it means something. And Ronnie West also wanted me to mention that there was some little school from down south that won the college national championship. <laughs> In the entertainment world, there were all sorts of things going on. And where else would you start except with Lindsay Lohan? Lindsay Lohan was arrested for being involved in a car accident. For the first time since 1927, a silent film won Picture of the Year when the artist took home that honor. And Lindsay Lohan was arrested for a domestic dispute. Well, Dick Clark, the eternal youth, he, he finally died, as did Whitney Houston. And Lindsay Lohan was arrested for an assault in a club. Mr. Potato Head turned 60 this year. And for those of you that remember, he and I are the same age. And then one final thing in the world of entertainment, Lindsay Lohan was arrested for violating her probation. You know, we look back at the year and there were a lot of tragic things as well. You know, the, the devastation from Hurricane Sandy, the shootings at the mall in Oregon, at the movie theater in Colorado, and then just a short while ago, the killings in Connecticut. We look back at our own lives personally. And there's some of you that are sitting in here this morning and 2012 has been a rough year, hasn't it? A lot of things happened that have just been hard to get through. For some others, 2012 has been a pretty good year. And you're sitting here today and you're pretty excited about it. And you're actually hoping that 2013 will at least be that good. Most of us, it was kind of a mixture of both, wasn't it? But as we gather here today and we think about 2012, truth of the matter is, while it's interesting to look back at it, while we need to remember some of the things that are there in our rearview mirror, while we need to learn from some of the things that we experienced in 2012, truth of the matter is, basically 2012 is gone, isn't it? And what we're really concerned about is what's ahead. What lies in front of us in 2013? And what we really want to know is, 
How can we move boldly into the new year? Or to be honest, for some of us, it's maybe more like this. How can we at least get up enough courage to poke our heads out from under the covers and look at 2013? Well, I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 5. We're going to find the answer to this thing of how do we move boldly into the new year. Now, as you're finding that, I want to tell you, in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, there is scholars who kind of fall on two realms with this. There are those who take this very much as being, this whole paragraph that's here, being very much about sickness and physical ailments. Then there are other scholars and other commentators, other preachers who who feel like it's talking about a broader thing. And that's where I fall in. I don't think this passage deals just with sickness, just with illness, just with physical uh, maladies. But I think it looks at our lives in a broader context. It looks at us as a whole being. And so while we're going to focus today on James chapter 5, verse 16, I actually want us to read the paragraph that that's in. And so we're going to pick up reading in verse 13, James chapter 5, verse 13. And he asks a question. He says, is anyone among you suffering? How about it? There's some folks out there that could say yes to that this morning. He says, well, if it is, let him pray. Then he says, is anyone cheerful? I'm sure we got some in here today that are pretty cheerful about what's going on in your life. He says, if that's you, he says, let him sing psalms. So you notice whether you're suffering or whether you're cheerful, he says, turn your attention to the Lord. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if someone has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. He says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man, now he's given us an example of this, with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. All right, let's focus in now on that 16th verse, and let's focus in on the very end of it. He says to us, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, I was thinking about that word avails and trying to figure out, you know, what exactly the writer meant. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I've kind of been listening and I've been thinking about my own conversation. And while I use, you know, available a lot, I don't use the verb avails very often. And I've discovered that the people I talk with don't use it very often. Well, what does he mean? What is he saying there when he says avails? The effective, the fervent effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. Well, it's a word that means can do. It's a word that means actually adequate. But when we use the word adequate, it kind of carries a little bit of a negative connotation with it, doesn't it? When we say something's adequate or something satisfactorily, satisfactory, we really kind of mean, you know, it just barely made it. 
just a bare minimum. But that's not what the scripture is talking about. It is not a bare minimum. It is adequate. It is complete. It can do it. In the words of Larry, the cable guy, it can get her done. <laughs> so he says, it avails much. It is the idea of wielding great power. He says, this is a prayer that can wield great power. And when I think of something, wielding something, I think of a sword. And I guess it's because of the age in which my son grew up through the Star Wars generation. When I think of wielding a sword, I don't think of a real sword. I think of a what? Lightsaber. Several years ago, right after Christmas, we were down at my mother-in-law's. And there is an age discrepancy among her grandchildren. Our son is quite a bit older than all of his cousins. In fact, his cousins are closer to the age of Shay's children than they are Shay. So we're down there and you've got this little toddler, our grandson, Micah, who's around two at the time. And then you've got Shay's cousins who are the generation above him, but they're all still kids. And so they're down there playing and they have gotten new lightsabers. And so they have their lightsabers and they go in and one of the cousins goes over to his house and he brings his old lightsaber, a little short one, and gives it to Micah, our grandson. And so here they are, you know, these that are 10, 11 years old, they're there with his huge lightsabers, and there's our little grandson with his lightsaber dragging it on the ground because he still can't pick it up. It's so big. But he has something else with him. He has his lightsaber and his lovey. And as I was preparing this week, I had that picture in my mind, and I thought about it. How much like that are we? See, Micah had his great weapon, his lightsaber, but he also wanted his security. He also wanted his lovey to carry with him. That's kind of how we face life. We're, we're willing to go out there and battle and wield our weapons, but we want some sense of security as well. But let me tell you something, folks. The great and glorious thing is God provides both of those to us at the same time. He is our security as well as our power. And so it says he avails much. But when we think about that, that's what we want, isn't it? We want to have that kind of power. We want to have that working in our lives, that wielding of strength, that wielding of that which is adequate and sufficient to do all that we want to do. But it takes us back to how again, doesn't it? I mean, we started out with how do we go boldly into the new year? And now we say, okay, we go boldly into the new year by wielding the power but how do we have that power? I like the message Bible on this verse. Because here's how it starts off. He says, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may live together well and healed. Make this your common practice. How do we get that power? He says you get it by making this your common practice. Now, your common practice is your everyday thing. It, it really catches the sense of the verbs that are in this passage because they're all in a tense that means it's constantly going on. It's never stopping, never ending. And so what uh, the Message Bible says to us there is, this is our constant thing. This is our common thing. This is what's true all the time in our lives or should be. 
If I go up to my office here at the church right now, my computer is sitting on my desk. And all around this building, we have printers, all kinds of printers, color printers, black and white printers, big printers, little printers. And I'm actually connected to pretty much every one of them. And so I can sit in my office and I can send a, a document down to the printer beside Jennifer Harris's desk down here in the workroom. I can send it to the printer beside Jennifer Nix's desk. I can send it across the whole building over there to the printer beside Bonnie Hudgens' desk. But you know, if I just hit print, it goes to the printer beside my desk. That's my default printer. In other words, if I don't do anything, that's where it always goes. Let me ask you a question this morning. Where do you always go? When you're dealing with others, where do you go? Do you go to grumbling? Do you go to murmuring? Do you go to dissent? Do you go to strife? Do you go to negativity? See, that's what James is warning us against in this. That's not the kind of default we should have. That's not the kind of common practice we have. Yet that's true for so many of us. We're living our lives, going around just like the children of Israel, murmuring and complaining. My wife shared in our life group one week when she was teaching about this individual in our family that is the most negative person you'll ever meet in your life. They can take any situation and find a negative in it. I don't care what it is. In fact, as Sue described it, you know, you have people who see the glass as half full and people who see the glass as half empty. This person sees the glass as bone dry and spit in. <laughs> What's your default? Well, James tells us here, this is what it should be. He says, make this your common practice Confess your sins to one another. Now, first off, we got that word sins, and I, I want you to understand what it's talking about there. In some of your translations, it'll say trespasses. In other translations, it'll say faults. That's probably a better uh, interpretation of what's going on there because it's not talking about, you know, me coming to you and coming up here to Mark Harris and saying, Mark, I stole a book from the library. Yeah, yeah, that's a sin. That's something I did wrong. But that's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is if I have to come to Mark Harris and say, Mark, I've been talking bad about you, man, and I'm sorry. I'm not going to do it anymore. And I haven't, Mark. I haven't, said, I haven't even said anything to Jennifer bad about you. <laughs> but that's what it's talking about. Those faults against each other. In fact, it's a word that actually means a side slip. You know, that's something we've really got to be careful of. Because a lot of times we don't even realize we did it. We're on our journey. We're on our walk with Christ. We're moving in the direction that he would have us to go. And all of a sudden, we allow something in our lives, some type of negativity, uh, some type of complaining, something that's going on in our lives to cause us to sideslip. And guess what happens? When I sideslip, I'm not moving in the right direction anymore. I'm not moving in the direction that God would have for me. And so what James says to us is, let this be your common practice that you're not going to sideslip, but when you do, that you're going to confess it. You're going to acknowledge it. The word there, confess, is actually a word that sometimes is used for covenant. When you covenant with somebody, you're not going to 
be talking about them behind their back. When you covenant with somebody, you're not going to be murmuring and grumbling about what they do. He says, confess with one another. And then he says, and pray with one another. You know, I have come to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can't truly pray with a person and have ill will towards them. You can go through the motions. You can pretend. But you can't honestly pray. Prayer is an intimate thing. And so you can't intimately be involved with somebody in prayer and hold ill will against them. Now, again, I said you can play, pray, play at it. Uh, kind of like I remember my brother and I, we used to uh, argue once in a while as we were growing up because he was so stubborn and hard-headed. And uh, my mom would come in and she'd squelch the argument and she'd say, okay, now make up. Well, neither one of us cared anything about making up. And she would always get to this point, hug and make up. And so we'd walk up next to each other and it's like, and she'd go, no, hug. can't hug and really mean it and still be mad at somebody you can't pray for one another and hold that animosity and that ill will towards them and so that's what he says to us here he says confess to each other and pray for each other now listen to what he says so that you can live together whole and healed. Folks, listen to that. Because if you're living a life that does not have as its common practice confession and prayer and love for one another, you're never going to be whole. You're never going to be complete. You're never going to have all that God desires for your life. The fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man avails much. Again, the message says it this way. The prayer of a man right with God has a power to be reckoned with. That's what we want, isn't it? A power to be reckoned with. I was listening to a sermon that my son preached recently at his church. And in it, it was just before Christmas, and he was talking about peace. And he alluded to the fact that so often the joke about beauty pageants is when they stand up there and they ask them, what do they want? What's the answer? We want world peace. And Shay had this to say. He says, I've decided world peace is a little too lofty for me. He said, I'm just trying to get peace at 505 Battle Avenue, which is his house. <laughs> Folks, I think we need peace in our houses. We need peace in our neighborhoods. We need to make sure that we have peace at 17201 Jeff Davis Highway. 
in order that we can have a power to be reckoned with. It says fervent prayer. That's the same word in, in the Greek that we get energy from. It says an energized prayer, a prayer that is intensified, a prayer it, that boils over. Summer before last, my family and I went down to Holden Beach for vacation. We happened to hit right at the time in which the sea turtles were hatching, and that's a big sea turtle sanctuary down there. And right outside the house we were renting, right there on the beach, was one of the big nests, and it hatched while we were there. I've had people tell me, say, I've been coming here for 27 years. I've never seen a sea turtle hatch. We got to see it first time. And when we got down there, we were watching it. And they began to hatch, and they began to come up. And they call that a turtle boil, B-O-I-L, boil. And as we were watching it, you began to see why. Because what happens is the turtles, the, the eggs are down at the bottom. They begin to hatch first, and they begin trying to work their way up to the surface. And as they're working their way up to the surface, the others get agitated. They begin to break their shells open. And all of a sudden, as you're standing there watching it, the ground begins to rumble a little bit in this little spot. And all of a sudden, turtles come boiling up out of the ground. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I saw right away, I see why it's a boil. See, it couldn't be contained. Those little turtles at the bottom were coming out. And it couldn't be contained. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you prayed with that kind of passion? With that kind of intensity? With that fervent sense about what you were praying? That's what God calls for us to do. Basically, what he tells us in this passage is that passionate prayer should be our practice. That should be our commonplace. That should be our default. We should be in the process of praying earnestly each and every day. Effective prayer. Prayer that reaches its desired effect. What is the desired effect of our passionate, fervent prayer? I'm going to surprise you. It's not ultimately that I get that raise. It's not ultimately that I get that new job. It's not that I be healed. The ultimate desired effect of our prayers is that God would be honored and glorified. In our lives, in our actions, in our situations. How do we go boldly into the new year? By praying passionately, earnestly for one another and for God. To be glorified. The fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man. Now that's the other key word in there. But I want to say something to you. The good news in that is that's not on our shoulders. Because the scripture tells us that there's not a one of us who's righteous 
No, not one. Our righteousness comes from God, who sent his son, Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? God sent his son, but he sent his son for a purpose, that he might die on the cross and pay the price for our sins. And it's in accepting that gift of what God did for us on the cross that we are made right. It's through the righteousness of his blood. Jesus paid the price for my sins. And that's what makes me a righteous man. So this morning, what do we do with this passage of Scripture? What do we take into the new year with us? It's this. Make this your common practice. Confess your faults, your side slips to each other. Pray for each other. Fervently, passionately pray that God might be glorified for you in 2013. But friend, if you're here today and you entered this place and you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, none of this is going to work. Because it's a fervent, effective prayer of a man made right by God, a man who has accepted the gift that God has given to him of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, paying the price for their sins. That enables us to wield a powerful weapon. A force to be reckoned with. And so if you're here today, God didn't bring you here to hear a message about powerful prayer. God didn't bring you here to hear a message even about getting along with your fellow man. God brought you here this morning to know Jesus. To understand what he did for you on the cross. And to accept the gift and to be made right and well and whole and healed. Let's bow our heads in prayer.